If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. the Gospel Saving Church. Amen. I want to welcome everybody that's uh, joined us here in our little house church in McKinney, Texas, and I want to welcome everybody that's been joining us on SoundCloud and on GospelSavingChurch.com. Welcome this beautiful, beautiful September morning. Anyway, let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our service, and then we'll get into our message. So Lord, we just thank you so much for bringing us here, Lord God, and thank you so much for leading and guiding us. Thank you so much, God. We just, uh, I can't express my gratitude enough to you, Lord, how you lead us and guide us. Even through mistakes, Lord God, you still show us that, hey, it's okay, that mistake happened for a reason. It's, uh, there's, there's, there's a higher reason, there's a bigger reason why that mistake happened. So thank you, Lord, that you even allow mistakes to happen that are good for us, Lord. You even make delays, Lord, happen that are good for us, Lord God, and you are so concerned about our every little detail in our lives, Lord God, that you run the whole universe and everything in it, and yet you have time to point out little details in our lives, God. Wow, what an awesome God. What a, yeah. what a wonderful Father. Yeah. Anyway, Lord, we just ask that you bless this service and have mercy, God, on us and help us to learn today because, Lord, I don't know any one person on the face of the planet that's smarter than you. Lord, in fact, probably every person together on the whole planet is not as smart as even your hand, Lord. So we just, I'm just, just help us to understand your word, Lord. Your, your wisdom is so high above our wisdom. Help us understand your wisdom and your word today. And help us to not only understand it, Lord, but help us to make application to it, Lord, to our lives. Help us to understand it clearly and apply it through our everyday living, Lord God. That's so important, Lord. Well, Lord, we bless you and praise you and thank you. I ask that you bless this message and bless each one of us that are listening here. And I pray you take this message and take it around the world, Lord God, and let it impact the multitudes. We love you and praise you. And just ask these things, all these things, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, everybody doing okay today? Yes. God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the title of our message today is The Great Doubt. The title, The Great 
doubt. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Going to be in verses 1 through 6. So if you guys would like to turn to Matthew 11, chapter 1 through 6. And let's read them like normal. The Bible says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So, in case you didn't know, I'm going to start off today's message with a few facts. In case you didn't know some of these things. We started one year ago today, so woohoo! Today's our one year anniversary, one year anniversary of Gospel Saving Church. Yes. Praise be to God. And we started in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and we are now in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. So, in case you're just doing the math, just in case, that's one year, 12 months, 52 weeks, and we've only made it through. 10 chapters of Matthew. So just in case you're doing the math, that's pretty awesome. And then, I mean, uh, it's not very fast, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. We're, we're making it. Um, if you go online later today and you were to check out my sermons and you might say, yeah, Pastor Ed's a liar. And you might say, well, I already got you covered because you'll only count 51 sermons online. And I just told you we've had 52 Messages. Well, that is because that when we first started, we didn't know where we were going. We had no idea kind of what we were doing. We just started, felt like God telling us to do this thing and start this church, and we didn't record my very first message. And it'd be the whole Matthew chapter 1. We did a whole chapter back then at that time. That's what God led me to do. Um, but we did not record it. So you only, re- you only read over 51 messages if you go online and you were to look. But we've, this today marks our 52nd message. We praise God that He's allowed us to start this church, and Gospel Saving Church is, a, is just a place where people can come and hear the truth via wherever, yes. gospelsavingchurch.com or SoundCloud, wherever you're coming from. The only reason, the main reason why we've only made it through 10 chapters of the Gospel of Matthew in all of our time, in our year, in our whole year that we've been preaching Christ here, is because I believe that God's Word, every single word in the Bible is important. Every single solitary one. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I just don't know if I've said it in service. I believe that getting to know the one that wrote the Bible is much more important than how fast you go trying to get through the word that he wrote. Because real easily, if you just skip through the Bible really quick and you don't take your time, you'll really easily miss the whole point of the Bible, and that's to what? To get to know the one that wrote it. So we may go slow, and we may have only made it through 10 chapters of Matthew in one year, but I believe, anyway, that we've gone slow because we we break the Scripture down in detail. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We don't miss a verse. We don't miss one. 
line upon line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept, I believe every single word of God is important for us to understand, is important for us to know. So that's why we go so slow. So today we have a brand new chapter, Matthew chapter 11, and we have a brand new topic of discussion. Today we get to look at the mighty man of God, the mighty man of faith, the mighty preacher man, John the Baptist again. We have a little detour in verse 1 before we get to John. So let's, let me read over verse 1 again. And then we'll, we'll look at my first topic that I have. I have a little, a little tangent to do this morning, so bear with me. We read, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their city. So if you remember correctly, last week's message, we had the whole of Matthew chapter 10. We, we tail-ended last week with the end of Matthew chapter 10. But Jesus spent the whole of Matthew chapter 10 telling his disciples about evangelism, about sharing the Word of God, about, you know, preaching to people and what was going to happen to you and all that was going to happen and what you'd run into and so on and so forth. So you could call that what he just did, kind of like chapter 10 was like a mini Sermon on the Mount, you'd say even. So he just got done finishing up with, you'd say, their sermon or their message or even like you call it church. So they just got done, Matthew chapter 10, with this church little gathering that they had. So we read here that he dismisses them to go evangelize. And we read him, we, it says here, he goes then and grabs a hamburger, fries, and a Coca-Cola. And he kicks back while his disciples go off and do all the real work. Oh, 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 wait a minute. Um, Oh, snap. That's the wrong Bible. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. That, I'm sorry. That, let me correct myself. He goes out and he did lots of stuff. That was the Bible that most American pastors read from. Because you see, a big pet peeve of mine is leaders of the church, pastors of the church, that read God's word right here and read Jesus. He went out here. He, he commanded them. They went and then he went. Well, in case you didn't know, if you're listening, wherever you're listening, not the whole world, and if you're listening to America, most American pastors, all they do is sit inside their churches and they just sit from this pulpit that I'm at right here, something like this, and that's all that they do. They teach, that's, that's where they teach from. They don't get up out of their church. They don't go out and evangelize. They don't get up. They don't go out. They don't live lifestyles of evangelism like we see that Jesus did Right here, Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, verse 1 of 11, then he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. So he got up out of where he was, and he went out, and he commanded them to go, and then he got up, and he did it himself. So my thrust would be, just this first part, if you're listening to this and you're a pastor or you know, you go to a church, I would encourage you, if you know, we're not your home church, you're listening online, go to your, your home church. Go to your home pastor and say, Pastor, what are you doing? What are you doing to, to preach the gospel other than staying inside of our church? And, and it's okay if you question them on this because, you know, they won't really want to answer. But then all you got to do is just take them back to Matthew chapter 11 and say, well, Pastor, if you don't do anything, you know, and your ministry is just from the pulpit and that's all you do. I said, then how do you explain what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 11? Aren't we supposed to follow him? Isn't a Christian a follower of Christ? And what did Christ do? 
that Jesus had every right to Sermon on the Mount or right here to sit his butt down on that sermon on that mount and teach and then just teach. And then all people ever had to do was come to him. They already know what he, where he would have been and they would have just been able to come to him, see him sitting there and just listen to him. But he didn't. He preached from here. He went to there. He went to there. He went to there. He lived a lifestyle of evangelism. He lived a lifestyle of outreach. So if you're listening to your pastor, come on, pastors. Do you follow Jesus? He went from church and he went out and he lived a life of evangelism, a life of outreach. The Bible says that real Christians need to be living a life of evangelism. Whether you're a pastor or a deacon or a teacher or in the congregation, etc. Remember that saying that God kind of put on my heart last week for whole chapter 10. If Jesus didn't think evangelism was that important, then why in the world did he spend a whole chapter teaching us, those that would follow him, how to evangelize? And Jesus was not a hypocrite. He didn't just teach something and then go off and do something else. He taught it, and then he went out and he did what he taught. That's a real leader. Because you see, leaders lead from the front. Leaders don't lead from the back. If I only ever told you to go out and live this way and live that way, but then I didn't live that way, I'd be a hypocrite. Leaders lead from the front. Get out there, pastors, or if you're a leader of your church, someone, get out there. Let everybody else that's in back of you, those that are younger than you, let them see you out front doing what's right, living for the Word of God and obeying and doing the things that Jesus Christ did himself. Because it's only if you lead from the front can people follow you. You're not a leader if you're following others. So just, you know, FYI, I had to get on my little soapbox there for a moment, and we're going to get into the main message about John now. I just, you know, I want to encourage you, and I want to, want to challenge you. Get out there. Get out there and do something for Christ. Get out there and preach. Yeah. Get out there and tell people about Jesus wherever you're at and with your walk with the Lord. So, on to John. So as Jesus is going out, as we read here in verse 2, doesn't sound like he gets very far because it says he just goes out. Verse 2, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? So they kind of, Jesus went out, and then here we got John's disciples coming and kind of, er, put on the brakes. Hold on, hold on. Wait a minute, Jesus. We, wait, wait, we got a question for you. That was happening to Jesus all the time. As we were reading about earlier throughout Matthew, that was happening to him all the time. That's what happens. So verses 2 and verse 3. So what do they ask? They're, they're talking to him about John. And John was in prison at the time when they came to Jesus. Now God's word prophecies about John in Isaiah chapter 40, that he was going to be the one to come before the Christ. So he was going to be the forerunner of Christ Jesus. That was going to be John. The Bible tells us that John was an awesome man of God. He was a powerful preacher for God. He was a powerful promoter for the Word of God. John the Baptist was an awesome man of God to be reckoned with. When he preached, people took notice and listened. He preached things like, you know, brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Repent, therefore, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
John was a powerful preacher, man. He was powerful. He stood up. He wasn't afraid to get in there and knock heels with those people that he was preaching to. He wasn't afraid to get out there in the nitty gritty. He was an evangelist at heart. And he was, a, he was a street preacher at heart too. He'd stand up in the midst of a thousand people or 1,500 people or a thousand people and just preach. And he didn't care what he said. He wasn't, he wasn't into the seeker-friendly movement. He just preached it how it was. John was brutal and he preached. And he was harsh when he preached. And he told you the truth the way it was. He preached it just like he saw it. And that's what we need more of today. People that preach it just like they see it. But unfortunately... As we see today, even those that preach today that are very powerful and passionate for what they preach, John's aggressive preaching got him in trouble with the ruler of the region. That would be Herod. And Herod put John in prison as Mark 6.17 tells us. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Now, did you catch that? <coughs> Excuse me. Did you catch that? Herod married his brother Philip's wife. Present tense. He didn't say that he married his brother Philip's ex-wife. said he married brother Philip, his brother Philip's wife. Current. That he married another man's wife that was still married right now. He, they were still married. Wow. Right? So this was ungodly. Well, of course, John called out ungodly things. And John spoke out against this, you know, to Herod himself. And he called it for what it was. So, of course, Herod, Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, got mad because her sin got called out, which is usually what people do when you call out people's sin. They usually get mad. Oh, I don't want oh, to hear that. It's like throwing a rock into a pack of dogs. The one that, the one that gets hurt, the one that hears something that's harsh, he kind of, that hurts, so he yelps. So that's what Herodias did. She got mad because John called out her sinful lifestyle. And so John, because of his, his wife, threw, or Herod, because he got mad at John because of his wife, threw John in prison. Now John was eventually beheaded in prison. Herod finally eventually killed him. He's in prison. He never saw the light of day ever again. But here in Matthew 11, 2 and 3, through this section of scripture, we get to see a side of John that we don't get to see because we know he was put in prison. We know he's a powerful preacher, but you never really hear about his preaching ever again. His preaching was gone. You know, he never really preached it that we have recorded in scripture ever again. Now, I'm sure he preached in prison. I'm sure he, you know, was talking to the people about what he believed in God and when he was in prison. Uh, but here he was still in prison. And we get in these two verses here, <clears throat> we get a, to get a glimpse of what was going on through John the Baptist's mind while he was in prison for his faith. So that's what we're going to focus right now. We're going to focus on where, what John's mindset was while he was in prison for our time. We don't even know how long John the Baptist was in prison before he got beheaded. We just know that that's where he was, and that's where he sent his two disciples to go ask Jesus. So let's look at John in prison, 11-2 again. So what do we see in verse 2? Number verse 2, he says he hears about the works of Christ. Then he sends his disciples. And in verse 3, he, the question that he asks to ask them, really, in essence, is he sends his disciples to ask him, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the coming one, or are we to wait for another? So are you sure, John? Are we sure? Is John the Baptist sure? You know, he wants to make sure. 
you're the one, the Christ. You're the Savior of the world. That's John's question. Now, you may be asking yourself, I mean, at least when I read this, I went, what? What? Are you serious? What? John the Baptist sent two of his disciples to go ask Jesus if he was the Messiah. That means, you know what that means? That means John the Baptist was doubting because he wasn't sure that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. What? John the Baptist doubted? Huh? Isn't this the same John the Baptist that grew up who was Jesus Christ's cousin? The same John the Baptist that when Elizabeth visited Mary before they were born, as soon as, as, soon as the John the Baptist heard Mary's voice in the womb, he leapt because he knew this is the mother of the Messiah, that Jesus Christ was in the womb of Mary? Isn't this the same John that saw supernatural events at the baptism of Christ? Remember when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus and as he dunked him into the water and as he raised him back up, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove in front of John's eyes and sat on Jesus Christ while he was in the water, as soon as he came out of the water. And John heard God's voice from heaven say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. John heard that. Is this not the same John that held Messiah, he held Christ in his arms while he baptized him? Is this not the same John that allowed some of his disciples, him and his disciples were kind of hanging out, and Jesus come back from the wilderness, and Jesus walks past them, and his disciples ask him, and he says, yeah, that's the Lamb of God, the one that's come to take away the sins of the world. What? That's the, this, is this the same John the Baptist that we're reading about in verse 2 and verse 3 here, that's doubting? Even after he had all that proof, all that powerful life proof, John had no excuse to me. John had no excuse to doubt Jesus. He saw everything. He grew up with this Messiah. He saw everything. Yet he's doubting? He's doubting now toward the last days of his life. He's doubting. Is this, is, are you really the one? And even though he had all this knowledge to lean on, you think you have all this knowledge to know, and yet you're still doubting, and yet still he did. Still he still doubted. Here's why. He doubted because of his circumstances. John was in a terrible situation. John was in prison for his faith in Christ. He even here, verse 2, while he was there, says that he heard in prison about the works of Christ. So he not only had all that he had to go on before, but he even heard about him. But still, he was in prison. You see, I bet you John had never envisioned his life for God, Christ, to be so full of suffering and tribulation. You know, I bet you, you know, since the devil really doesn't change either, he just kind of uses the same things over and over and over and over again. Just like today we have that popular message in America, God has a wonderful plan for your life. I bet you John might have heard that 
message. I'm sure the devil was throwing that lie back then too. God has a wonderful plan for your life. There's no suffering. Everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be great. God, he just loves you so much. Look at how great God is. And when you think wonderful life, be honest with yourself now. This is why I know it's a trick from the devil. When you think wonderful life, do you think a wonderful life is spent your remaining days in a dirty, nasty, filthy, disgusting prison where his hands and his feet would have been in shackles. Shackles would have been something that they put around your wrists and manacles, or I'm sorry, manacles were hands and shackles were feet and you were shackled generally to a wall or to the floor so that you couldn't even get up. You were pretty much stuck in one position where you would not see the light of day maybe forever again. And suffering, you know, because this way that I'm describing here doesn't really describe a good situation fleshly-wise. You're, you're suffering. Where suffering will be part of the rest of your days of your life. That's not a wonderful plan for my life at all. That's a horrible plan for my life. But this is how John spent his last days of his life. Because he never, ever, ever saw the light of day ever again. John was put in prison by Herod. And then later on, Herodias' daughter asks for the John the Baptist's head on a platter, and she gets it. They decapitated him in the prison cell. So he never got to see the light of day ever again. Now, John was in prison when Jesus taught Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 22. I'm going to read them over really quick if you remember them. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about what you are to sp should speak or wh what will be given to you, for it will be given to you in that hour that you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For I say to you that you will by no means gone through every city of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and his servant like his master. And if they call the master, talking about himself, of the house Beelzebub, which is Satan, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore don't fear them, for there's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. John never heard that message of Jesus. John never heard this message of suffering. John never heard it. So at this moment, John here in prison, spending the last days of his life, John was doubting because of his sufferings. And he was in desperate need of some assurance so he can endure in his faith in Christ. Imagine 
Isn't it easy to believe and have faith when everything is going great? Isn't it easy to believe that God's going to provide when the fridge is full of food? Isn't it easy to believe that God can provide when your gas tank's full and, you've, and you're going to work every day and you're working 40 hours a week and you're getting good money and you're getting paid? It's easy. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks be to God because everything's going great. But then something happens and you lose your job. Uh-oh. Wait a minute now. Wait, how am I going to pay my bills? <gasps> Is God really going to provide for me now? I don't have a job. And I can't get one. And it's been a month. And I got no money coming in. And the very first thing out of your mouth is, Oh God, where are you right now? Lord God, where are you? Why aren't you delivering me from this? And that's only not paying your bills. Maybe you got to go back and live with mom. Imagine you're in prison, shackled to the floor, dark, nasty, dirty dungeon, evil, and you're suffering every day. Wow. I bet it would be awfully hard to believe in God then. John reminds me of a man that you guys may well know. They call him Thomas, or better known as always for Maybe not for eternity, but for at least on this earth, people know him as Doubting Thomas. You guys remember Doubting Thomas? We read of him in John chapter 20, and we read a little account of him. We have in John 20, same day at evening, this is after the resurrection, after the death of Christ on the cross, being the first day of the week, which would have been Saturday, or Sunday, excuse me, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Now you remember when they were with Jesus, they were out everywhere. They never hid once. They walked everywhere. They walked here. They walked there. They did this. They did that. Now where are they? They're in a, in a room. Their doors locked. And they're all alone. For what? For fear of the Jews. Again, we got the 12 disciples. I think it's kind of unfair when people call Thomas Doubting Thomas, because if you really looked, all 12 doubted. Well, now by now there's 11. Judas had already killed himself. So I think it's unfair when people just say Doubting Thomas because the disciples were doubting too. It's why they were locked in a room afraid of the Jews. If they weren't afraid of the Jews, they would have been out in the open. So they doubted God too. They doubted Christ too because they were afraid and they were locked away. And look what Jesus comes and says. Jesus comes, this is after the resurrection now, and he comes and he stood, stands in the midst of them, and he says to them, peace be with you. Now, if they, everything was great, and they, had, they were men filled with faith, why did he have to say, peace be with you? Because they were scared, and they weren't peaceful. They were afraid. Because of what? Their circumstances. Circumstance has a lot to do with our faith. We shouldn't let it, but it does. Many of times our circumstances affect how much faith we have in God. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his he showed him his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So imagine now, they all were probably like thinking to themselves, if only I could put my hands in his side, or if only I could see him, and then Jesus shows up and he says, Here I am, look, here, touch me. 
Touch me, here I am, believe. Hey, don't doubt, believe. Here I am, don't doubt. Hey guys, wake up. Don't be scared. No, it's real. <laughs> Down to verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, the one that takes the bad rep for all of them, was with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. We've seen him, Thomas. He was right here. He came in and he showed us the holes. We saw him. He was right here. But Thomas didn't see. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas says to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand on his side, I will not believe. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside. That means that they were again inside, locked up in the room for their fear of the Jews. Look, and Thomas with them. Look, at we, and we know that they were there because it says Jesus came, the doors being shut. Oh, the doors being shut means that they didn't want nobody. They were there. They were there in secret. They were hiding again. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. And he said again, peace be to you. Look again, they were still scared. Jesus, no, they were scared. He came because he knew they were scared. And he said, peace be to you. They needed peace because they didn't have peace right then and there. They were scared. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, Thomas, all I could say is, wow, the 12 disciples, wow. John the Baptist, wow. They had no excuse. They lived and walked with Christ in the flesh. They had no excuse not to believe. They had no excuse to doubt. If anybody should have believed... It should have been them, if anybody, but they didn't. But looking at these situations, looking at Thomas, <clears throat> looking at John, looking at the, uh, uh, the ten other disciples, makes me wonder one thing. It really makes me wonder one thing for now. Where does that put us almost 2,000 years after Christ is dead and gone, and he's resurrected and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Well, think to yourself, obviously don't say it out loud. Anybody that's listening, have you guys ever seen the resurrected Jesus Christ? I haven't. Have you, have you guys' eyes ever gazed upon Christ Jesus? No. I know I haven't. I know throughout historical events, recordings of some martyrs, that kind of as they were going to their martyrdom, they got to see Christ just a little bit before they kind of, he strengthened them. You know, we read that in like Fox's Book of Martyrs and Jesus' Free Book of Martyrs. And they kind of saw a glimpse of Christ as they were kind of going in. We know Paul, you know, the apostle didn't walk with him, but he saw him resurrected. But not today. Nobody's sitting in this room, I bet. Maybe, probably nobody, definitely listening online. We haven't seen him. Where does that put us? What does it mean for us to follow Christ today? Here's what it means. It means that we doubt sometimes. It means that because of our circumstances, we doubt sometimes, don't we? 
We doubt, just like Thomas, just like the ten, just like John. I won't lie. We all doubt sometimes. Now, we don't talk about it much. We don't talk about it. We keep it secret. Oh, and oh brother, man, I, I'm doubting. You won't hear that in the average church. But we do. You know, and it's a shame because there's only really one word for it, and that's pride. Because we got to confess our sin because it is a sin to doubt. And we got to confess our sin to one another. But we do. But we do. And like I said earlier, it's easy to die. It's easy to believe when everything's going great. But the, the moment something happens where things aren't going great, we start doubting, is God really going to take care of me this time? There's an old saying, and I'm going to botch it up, but I'll say it my way. The true test of a soldier is not found in peacetime. The true test of a soldier is found during war. What kind of soldier is that going to be? It's easy to be a good fighter in practice when there's not real war and the bullets aren't really, aren't really flying. But it's not so easy to be a soldier when those bullets are flying and those people want to kill you. So the true test of a soldier is during war, not during times of peace. So now saying all that, is it any worse of a sin to doubt than it is to kill or to steal or to lie? I mean, how does God see that, you know, if we doubt? How does God see it? I mean, does God get really ticked off? Does he get really angry with us when we doubt? Oh, I see that Pastor Edigan always doubting the wall throw a lightning bolt at him. Does he? What do you think? What do you think? Well, we got one thing's for sure. When we got a Bible question, how do we answer a Bible question? We answer it with the Bible. So, let's, let's look at how God answered the John that had no excuse in verses 4 and 5. Because there's where we find our answer. Because yes, the Bible does talk about what happens when we doubt, and it does talk about God's response to doubting. Read verse 4 and 5 with me. So Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. What did he do? He didn't get mad. He didn't get angry. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't say, oh, that John, that worthless John, he doubted me. How dare he? He answered John's disciples with love. He answered John's disciples with compassion. And what did he tell them? He could have told them, John knows enough. John has all the wisdom he'll ever need. Go, go back and tell John, you should believe in me because of the baptism. You got to remember yesterday, John. Remember last week. Remember two months ago when you saw me and you, you know, however long it was, and you gave your disciples to me? John, you just must have to remember. You worthless disciple, you. He got it every right. I know that's what I would have wanted to do, but he didn't. He answered him lovingly, and he responded with, Go tell John the proof. Go tell John what you see and hear, or what you hear and 
see. Told him lovingly. He wasn't angry because John doubted. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And Jesus was God. So if he wasn't angry with John, he's not going to be angry with us. God is love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, Love is patient and kind. Love bears and believes all things. Love, love hopes and endures all things. That's our God if you're a Christian. That's God Almighty. That's the Lord God Jesus. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's patient. He's kind. And we're just human beings in these stinky old bags of flesh, of sinfulness. We can't today see God's or Jesus Christ's form. We can't see him. Oh, wait. Oh, there he is sitting on my roof. Oh, hey, Jesus. No. Sorry, we don't get to see Jesus Christ. We don't get to see God Almighty nowadays. That's why part of Christianity is putting your trust that the Bible is God's Word. And it is a representation. And it does tell us about God. And even today, folks, and throughout history, even the strongest men and women of faith go through tough times. Like John and Thomas and the other disciples. And of course, when we go through tough times, it's easy to doubt God and Jesus. And remember, we have that adversary to our soul. We have that dirty dog, Satan. That just loves, and he's always watching those that belong to God. He's always watching the children of God. And don't you think he jumps right on it and he says, Hey, that dirty dog, look at you, Christian. Look at you, you're having a tough time. You just lost your job. Oop, I bet you God's not going to take care of you. And he puts that little thought in your mind. What does that do? That makes us doubt. Makes us doubt. He watches and waits for those times. He's an opportune devil. He can't wait to see a difficult situation that you're going through. And then he tempts you. And the, one of the very first things is, ah, where's God now? So we have doubts sometimes. And many times they will, uh, they will come because of tough circumstances. We already talked about that. So what do we do then? What do we do then, Christians? Do we just doubt until we just stop believing? Boy, I wonder. I know somebody that really liked that. I know that devil really liked that. Just, just doubt till you don't believe anymore. So what do we do? What do we do when those tough times come? What do we do? How do we handle it? We, again, have to go back to our biblical example here. We have John. And we have this biblical example of what we ought to do. What did John do when he doubted Christ? Did he go to his friends and say, hey, please encourage me, man. Is God real? Tell me, is Jesus really the Christ? Did he go to the wall and cry at the wall? Oh, I just don't know. And just cry out to his heart. No, I just don't know. I mean, I mean, he did that. Maybe he did that. Maybe he didn't. But what do we see that he did? What example do we have that he did? He went to Jesus and he asked him to fix his doubt. He went right to Christ and he asked him to fix his doubt. And you may be saying, but Ed, he didn't go himself. No, but he sent people to ask Christ. You can kind of say, if you look at a, something a kind of a little neat there, that 
John's disciples kind of, you know, take the place today of what we now have. It's called the Holy Spirit. And we ask the Holy Spirit to go to Christ for us because, you know, he, we, he got, we, you know, the Holy Spirit in us and prompts us to pray and then we pray. So kind of our message kind of goes out just like John's did. We have to go to Christ Jesus himself. And how did Jesus answer him? Here's the powerful thing I love to look at here. It's not that just that John went to him. That's one thing because people go to who they think is God all the time. But how did Christ answer back to John? How did Jesus answer back? Again, he could have said anything, but how did he answer back? He answered him with real evidence and real proof that he was the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. If we have doubts, Christians, we need to get them off our chests and we need to go to Christ with them and we need to ask him to help us with them. Not to somebody else. Not lay down on the floor and cry ourselves asleep. We need to go to Christ and ask Him, please help me with this doubt. Help me with this doubt. I had some doubts this morning, waking up on my bed, and I took my own teaching before I taught it to you. God brought it back to my mind. He quickened my mind to it. And I started to have some doubts because of the way I felt this morning. And then the thought came to me, go to Christ. Go to Jesus. So I did. And the moment I did, you know what God did for me? He came back with the real proof of what he has done for me even just yesterday. Of what he did for me last week. Of what real things that God really did for me to show me that he was real. Real proof. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Doesn't that line up with something I've read before? Oh, yeah. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Hmm. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So look at that. John might have not heard that teaching either, but he sure knew one thing. If Christ is God and if he is the Messiah, then I can go to him and he can answer me. So today is the same, Christians. If you're out there and you are a Christian, if you have doubts, go to him. In fact, God looks for those opportunities because he knows that Satan will tempt you. And what do you think God's looking for at that time? God's looking at you, seeing how's he going to handle that? Is he going to ask me? Is she going to ask me about her doubt? And you know what God's doing? God's looking for a chance to answer your prayer. He's looking for a chance to show himself strong to you because you did ask. Because you did seek. He's looking for a chance. Praise God that he's looking for a chance. Going to Christ about your doubt is the way that God wants you to handle it 150% if there was such a thing. But there is, of course, biblically, there's the alternative to not going to Christ and asking him to help you with your faith. 
and we read that alternative in verse 6. Read it with me. And blessed is he who is offended, who is not offended because of me. That's the alternative. When that hard situation comes and you start to doubt Christ and God, then you can just blame him. Or in other words, you can just be offended with him. And in case you want to know the definition of offended, according to Strong's Concordance of the word offended, don't need to worry about the Greek word here, the definition is to cause a person to begin to distrust and deassert ones or one whom he ought to trust and obey. To cause to fall away. Blessed are those who are not offended with me. Because when John was in his bad situation, he could have easily just stopped trusting in Christ. He could have easily not gone to Christ. Easily. So Jesus says, blessed is the person who does not fall away from me because of their bad circumstances or situations that are causing you to doubt. Blessed is the one that doesn't fall away during those times that are tough. Because it's easy to blame God when things go bad in our lives, isn't it? It's so easy. I got to tell you that over 14 years ago, I used to be an atheist slash agnostic. I didn't believe in God, nor even if there was a God, did I even care that God was there. But you know what one thing I used to do? If I was hammering a nail into a piece of wood and I accidentally hammered my finger, you know what I would say? Because I still remember that God brought it back to my mind as I was doing the sermon. Oh God, why? Bad situation would happen. Bad car accident. Big troubles in my life. Oh God, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? And I didn't even believe in him as I said. And initially, what did I do? That first thing that comes, blame God because of your problems, Ed. Because it's all his fault. Blame him. Mm. Our nature as mankind is to blame God as soon as things go wrong. Because you know what? It's easy to pass the buck. It's easy to blame someone else when things go wrong. It's our nature. And we got the great tempter that comes at us and tempts us with that same thing as soon as something goes wrong. Because it's easy to blame Christ because the Twin Towers got blown up. It's easy to blame Christ because your Aunt Susie died. It's easy to blame God because a little fluffy guy hit by a car. Oh God, why did you allow my poor dog to die? Why did you make that happen? How many times I've heard that. How many times I've heard on the streets talking to people about Christ after the Twin Towers. Well, why would a good and loving God allow the Twin Towers to be blown up like that and all those people that died? Their first thing, let's blame God. Well, since God is in control and he could stop all evil, then why doesn't he? He's to blame because he allows it to all go on. Eh, sorry, that's wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Jesus prayed in Matthew 6, 9 and 10, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's praising God the Father. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When he prayed that prayer, he said, God, I want your will to be done on earth. Because you know what, folks? He prayed to pray that because God's will is not being done on earth. God's will is not being done on earth. The world, Jesus, according to Jesus, is under the rule of Satan right now. Jesus said in John, I leave and the ruler of this world is coming. Walk while you have the light. It's not God's fault that bad things happen. Bad things happen because we live in a sin-filled and a fallen world. It's not God's fault that I have, you have, or somebody has cancer. It's not God's fault that there are starving people in the world. It's not God's fault because your Aunt Susie died. All those things happen because we're in a sin-fallen world, folks. God is good. He's the giver of all good things. Yes. Not death. Not evil. That's not God. That's not your creator. So, praise be to God in closing. Your doubt can lead you one of two ways. Your doubt, you could doubt and you could seek Jesus Christ for the answer and you give Him a chance to answer you like we read about John doing here in today's scripture. Or you can doubt because of your bad situation and you can blame God. He gives you that right. He gives you that opportunity to do that for all your problems. And he'll let you get offended. You can get offended at him because, Jesus, because of Jesus and, and simply just not believe him. You could just simply stop trusting him because um, bad situations are happening in your life. And just, you know what? Write God off. Well, since he allowed that to happen, ah, shake your fist at him and blaspheme him all the rest of the days of your life. You can do that. God gives you that will. He gives you your free right to do that. It's called free will. So which person would you describe yourself to be today? Or which person can you say maybe you were that way yesterday? Which person are you going to be tomorrow when those bad things happen? Difficult times are going to come for all of us. And if you are a follower of Christ... You probably have even doubted God, Jesus Christ, as you're going through that bad situation. Just like the mighty John the Baptist did here in our scripture today. This is the one I really hate from Satan. This is the one I really hate, and I'm going to expose his lie right now because he is a liar. Because you guys might have had it all too. Bad situations happening, and I'm struggling, or I'm suffering, or something really bad. Oh, oh man, oh, am I going to get through this? Here's the first thing that comes to my mind. If God and your Jesus are really real, then why are you having these bad times happening to you? There's no God. Oh, Jesus Christ, this is just a fairy tale. He doesn't exist. That's my favorite one. I don't know if you've had that one. Not. I hope you never do, because that's one that Satan gets me with often. God's really real. Why are you struggling like you are? Why are you suffering like you are? But assuredly, I tell you this, is God is so good and loving. If you seek Jesus and ask him to fix your doubt, he will. Because God is faithful and he's a man of his word. If Jesus did it for John the Baptist, who in my eyes had no excuse to doubt, and if he did it for Thomas, look, he showed up to Thomas and he gave Thomas real proof. Here, Thomas, Put your fingers in my hand. Put them in my side. 
And those people had no excuse. None. They were the first ones that should have believed. And the last ones that should have disbelieved. And if he did it for them, and he did it in love, how much more will he do it for those that are doubting nowadays that have never seen his face? That have never looked upon the throne of God. How much more will he do it for us today if we ask him and if we confess our doubt to him and we tell him, God, please fix my doubt. Fix my doubt. I need you to help me with this doubt. He certainly, certainly will. Or maybe you've doubted to the point of despair and you're listening to this message and you've just given up on Christ and you've fallen away. You just can't do it anymore. I just, God wasn't there for me when I really needed him, so therefore, I'm done with God. He allowed that bad situation to happen to me. I'm done. I'm over. The Lord God wants you to come back today and he wants to put an end to your doubting. He wants you to come back to Christ today and ask and seek and knock. He's waiting for you to do that. He's waiting. He can't wait for you to do it so that he can show you that he's real. If you'll just humble yourself and admit that you're doubting and ask God for help with your doubts, he will answer you and he will show you the answer and he'll give you real proof He'll give you things like bluebirds. He'll give you things like messages in the clouds. I know guys that that's happened to. Asking God about something. He really saw images in the clouds. Real life images in the clouds. Real guy got a real bluebird that he asked for God for proof for a little bluebird. He really gave it to him. It may not be immediate now. The Bible says those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God demands and requires patience. Sometimes it gives it to you right away and sometimes you have to keep seeking. The definition of seek is to something you keep doing. Something you don't give up on. Seeking is not, oh, uh, you know, uh, if you're there, uh, come down now. Uh, I'll believe you right now if you do it right now. Well, that's not seeking. That's making a demand. It's not seeking. That's te- tempting and testing God. Yes. Not seeking God. Please turn back to him today. I could tell you that he loves you and surrender him and in in, in he'll show you and he'll help you with your doubt and you, so you can stop doubting. And I believe that Jesus Christ paid a high price for you Amen. on the cross yes. to take care of your sin and to buy you back from your fallen self. And if he loved you enough to do that for you, he still loves you today if you're doubting today and if you've fallen away today. And he still loves you enough to give you proof today because he loved you then, he doesn't love you any less now. God is love. God is love. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your love. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you're patient with us sinners. Thank you so much that you're patient. Even when we doubt, even like me, I've doubted and you've shown me so many miracles. I've seen, I've seen the rain move back. I've seen healings. I've seen open doors. I've seen buses drive off when people that needed to talk to me couldn't get on and they should have been able to get on. I've seen miracles, Lord. 
I've seen times when I've been there to talk to somebody that if for one other thing happened that, that, that before I got to this person and I wouldn't have been able to be there and talk to them at that certain time. And then they were praying, God, please lead me somebody <laughs> with the truth. Lead me somebody I can fellowship with. Lead me to somebody that can, I can revel in the truth with. And then all of a sudden, he got us. I've seen miracles, Lord, and yet I still doubt sometimes. God, forgive us all when we doubt. And God, I pray that every time we doubt, we'd always go to Christ and we'd always ask you to help us and just wait on your answer. And Lord, for those that are out there that have doubted themselves into unbelief completely, and they're listening to this message. Lord, it's no coincidence that they're listening right now and they just so happen to listen to this message. <laughs> no coincidences, Lord. I pray that you would draw them to the truth and that as they were maybe even, they, maybe they were even asking you for proof and then they listened to this message. <laughs> I pray you draw them to you and bring them back to Christ that they wouldn't be the prodigal anymore and surrender to you right now and cry out to you with all their hearts and ask you for your help so that you can answer them. We love you and we praise you, God. I ask all these things in the mighty and precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today, as one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry or contact us for prayer, or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.